Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 192, air date November 30th, 2017. Welcome to Basha's Natural Wellness on Full Service Radio AM 830 WCRN. Now, here's your host, Basha. Good afternoon, folks. I am Basha. Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday. Thanksgiving was great for everybody. And today we have a special guest here in the studio that I'm going to be introducing to you. As you know, I have a passion for health. And I invited Dr. Shiva Ayadore. Ayadore? Am I saying it correctly? You said it right. Ayadore. Ayadore. So we'll just call him Dr. Shiva from from now on. Um, Dr. Shiva is the inventor of email. Nothing much out there, but we'll, we'll get on that a little bit later. Holds four degrees from MIT, is a re- world-renowned system scientist. And I have his book here in front of me. Dr. Shiva has written, it's called Your Body, Your System, Beyond Diets, How to Achieve Optimal Health for the Unique You in a Dynamic World. Dr. Shiva, welcome to the health show. Thank you, Basha. Great to be here. I'm so glad you took the time to come visit us. And I also need to say, Charlie, are you with us? I got so excited about reading Dr. Shiva's book. Um, Charlie, are you there? Hey, I'm here, Basha. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Dr. Let Shiva. me introduce Glad you to Dr. Program. Shiva. Say hi, hi Charlie, to Charlie. How are you? Good to be hi, on the great. show. Great. How are you doing? Great. great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the program. And so, Dr. Shiva, without further ado, could you give us a little background um, about you and all the great stuff you've done so far? Uh, sure. You know, uh, Basha, I grew up in uh, two different worlds always. My whole life has been always about integrating uh, differences and trying to bring them together. So by way of example, you know, I grew up in India. I was born in India, but in two different worlds, even in India. I grew up in the cosmopolitan India of Bombay. If mm-hmm. people have been there, it's, uh, it's New York on steroids, if you want to think about it. Uh, it's a city within cities within city. But I also grew up in a small village in deep South India, in Tamil Nadu, where there was no running water, no electricity, et cetera. So I grew up in these two worlds. And in that small village in India, my grandmother was actually a traditional healer of traditional medicine. Now, she wasn't just someone who just did that for a living. That was something she did as service. In the traditional systems of Indian medicine, you were never supposed to charge for healing. Mm-hmm. So she worked 16 hours a day in the field planting rice in a small subsistence farm. But on weekends, you know, 30 to 40 people would line up outside her home. And she had learned from being in Burma and being in India from, you know, yogis how to heal people. So, for example, she knew the art of what was called samudraka lakshana, which is an art of reading your face Mm -hmm. and understanding the different dysfunctions in your body. And then based on that, she would give you very different types of medicines than she would give another person. The notion of precision medicine or personalized medicine. So different types of herbs, different types of yoga postures, et cetera. Because the idea in the systems of medicine was everyone's unique. You can't just give everyone the same pill. Right. So I, as a child, I saw this amazing woman who had no degrees, tattoos all over her arms, who work, you know, uh, in, in the fields healing people. And I was very curious how this woman could do this. That led me to America. You know, I came here as a seven-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents came here in 1970. So think about this very interesting model. This very traditional Indian family leaves India and lands in Patterson, New Jersey, in the middle of the Vietnam War in the middle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? This is the 70s, This right? is the 70s. Okay. We la- literally, I left India on uh, my seventh birthday, mm-hmm. December 2nd, landed here three days later. And I grew up in New Jersey, you know, as an American kid. You know, had a lawn mowing business, went through the public school systems, played soccer, baseball. But I was one of those kids 
because of what I'd experienced in India, I knew the immense opportunity that I had here.、Mm-hmm. You know, I could not ignore the fact that the time in '75 when I went to India, the stark differences I saw, and how much I valued what the opportunities here. So I worked my butt off.、Right. By the time I was 14, I'd completed calculus by the ninth grade, got accepted to a special program at New York University, one of 40 kids. Um, who was accepted to learn computer science at fourteen? At fourteen, and my dear mom would drop me off at the New York Newark Penn Station,、mm-hmm. and I would take the train into New York and study computer science with forty other students across the United States. Graduated top of the class, but remember, this was at a time when parents weren't.、Uh, today, parents are afraid to send their kids down the street. I used to go to New York all by myself, eight a.m. You know, leave leave around six a.m., eight a.m. to eight p.m. and come back. Wow! After I finished that. An interesting thing occurred. I had only had a few classes left to do in high school, humanities, and I was fortunate to get a full-time job working at Rutgers, what is now known as Rutgers Medical School, in the heart of Newark, New Jersey. Okay.、Uh, the school system changed the rules so this young kid could work full-time, and I was given an interesting task. I thought I would be able to do medical research, which I was doing,、mm-hmm. but I was given this other task. Many of your listeners who are over the age of forty may remember、um, in those days. Um, every office had a thing called the inner office mail system, run by a secretary. A secretary on her desktop had an inbox, outbox, folders. Remember, she'd、Everybody、write a thing called a memo、that. with、Absolutely. carbon paper. Yeah.、Uh, well,、it、I was, was asking. It was a pain in the butt. It was a pain in the butt. Exactly. And so, if you had to do ten CCs, you'd be typing away five,、oh、six different gosh, times. Oh my god! Awful. I was asked to convert that entire system to the electronic version. No one had done it before. I wrote fifty thousand lines of code. I called it email, a term never used in the English language.、And、Are we talking eighty right now, like nineteen? That's nineteen seventy-eight. Okay. And the interesting thing was, in those days, the guys in Washington didn't know what software was. You couldn't even patent it. It was only nineteen eighty. Did the Copyright Act change so I could use copyright to protect software? I went to MIT in eighty-one, and the president of MIT said, "You know, it's too bad you can't patent software, but you should copyright it." So as a kid, I wrote away for the copyright forms, and on August thirtieth, nineteen eighty-two, I was issued the first U.S. copyright. For email, recognizing me as the inventor of email, Th- those are the facts about email. But I did that as a teenager, long before I came to MIT. Went through MIT,、uh, did four degrees, in and out of there, started seven different companies, but always had a deep love for medicine, Basha. That was my real interest. Sure.、Uh, the email thing, in many ways, was a way that I learned how to program. And the interesting thing was, in 2003, I came back to MIT、mm-hmm. to do my PhD, and I ended up、uh, making a major discovery. How to integrate Eastern systems of medicine with modern, what we call systems theory. The net of it was I cracked a code to really understand how my grandmother was able to do this. On the other hand, I also discovered a new technology called Cytosolve, which lets us model the human cell on the computer, so we can eliminate the need for animal testing. And that technology now is being used to validate, you know, does a vitamin work or not? Which herbs work? Which they don't? Without killing animals. Before we even continue, I think that is so big. The name of that company again is what now? Is Cyto. Cyto means cell solve. S O L V E. So、okay. basically, C I T O. C Y T O. C I T C Y T O. Solve. Yeah. We in the health field is my passion.、Um, I think there's been too much, excuse me, brutality going on and too much animal testing. And people just, I mean, now you want chickens free range. People are starting to get involved. So the fact that one can do that to have less cruelty to animals. I think is fabulous, because that to me is another、um, sign that we need to start having a gentler, kinder <laughs> world as far as、uh, this this animal testing that's been going on. So yeah, I, I mean, one of the things is,、um, 
you know, I, I, I teach a, I have a whole institute also I call Systems Health that we, you know, I teach there uh, uh, once a month. It's a whole series of educational programs I developed when I got back from India after my Fulbright in 2007, which integrates Eastern and Western medicine. When you really look at it, there's really two ways uh, of, uh, two types of medicines. One is the reactionary reactive medicine for crises. Mm -hmm. So if you go back and look at the origin of Western medicine, it really comes back from Florence Nightingale, who was not just a nurse. Everyone has just reduced her to a nurse. She was actually a, a member of the Royal Society of Statistics. She was the first person who did big data and data visualization. She figured out during the Crimean War, the reason soldiers were dying was not because of being shot, but because when they came to the hospitals, there was no healthcare system. There was no hygiene. There was no way of taking care of the soldiers. In the 1800s, you went to the hospital to die. So Florence Nightingale had a 200-year vision of a healthcare system where you would have research, you would have clean, you know, uh, hygienic, um, uh, you know, areas. So she developed a modern healthcare system. But we have to understand that model of health was to put the soldier back on the battlefield. So what came out of that? Great surgery, you know, great antibiotics. Trauma, trauma care. Trauma care. Crisis care. Crisis care. And what happened was we started using that bazooka to start handling day-to-day -day health. Now, Eastern medicine is based on a very fundamental different notion. It's based on, you know, these yogis would observe nature over hundreds of years, or they would look at a phenomenon and meditate on it, which means they were trying to understand uh, uh, or develop what they call preventative medicine, which is how do you maintain the health of the body? And, and I, my view is, you know, I've been trained in Western medicine, you know, through my PhD at MIT, but I also got trained in Eastern medicine. There's a room for both. What's occurred right now in the Western medical system is we've completely uh, poo-pooed the preventative medicine. So people make fun of people who do yoga, yet there's 36 million people who do yoga now. People make fun of chiropractors, acupunctures, et cetera, because these are a different modality. And my view is they both should work together. Integrate. Integrate. Yep. And, and, that's, and that's the opportunity that we have. Yeah. Dr. Shiva, this is Charlie. I'd like to ask you a question about a recent study published. Um, it was the Dr. Stephanie Seneff and Anthony Samsell at MIT. They were looking at an ingredient, um, glyphosate, an ingredient in Monsanto's broad-spectrum herbicide Roundup. They're claiming that it might be connected to skyrocketing cases of celiac disease, which includes about 300 symptoms in the human body. Have you, have you familiar with that, that study that's been published by those? Yeah, so, yeah let me give you the background. We've actually done five major papers, which are uh, very in-depth. So, so in 2014, something very interesting happened. I was literally walking down MIT. I finished my PhD. I just started Cytosolve. And there was a front-page article on the front page of MIT, which said, buy fresh, buy GMOs. This was on Technology Review which is one of the most eminent science magazines. So as you start reading through that magazine, GMOs, by the way, are genetically engineered foods. The short acronym is GMOs for genetically modified organisms. And I read this paper or this article. It was an ad essentially saying that we should all be consuming genetically engineered foods and that all the poor people all over the world need GMOs. And this has been the nonsense that the Gates Foundation has put forward, including people like wow. U2's Bono. You know, all these, it's a neo-missionary model. And so I got involved in using our technology, Cytosolve, to really understand this. And what we did was we went through 11,000 scientific papers that have been written about a very interesting phenomenon in plants, how plants metabolize 
Um, and, you know, there's a very important engine that the plants have called C1 metabolism. The, the net of it is we published a series of five papers where we fundamentally showed that when genetically engineered soy gets created, that that genetically engineering soy has significantly lower levels of glutathione. Anyone who's listening to this that's in the health field will know glutathione is a master, a master antioxidant. antioxidant yep. And the GMO soy, which Monsanto calls Roundup Ready soy, has actually accumulates formaldehyde. The whole basis here, when you go down to the, when you rip away all the assertions, because what's happened with the non-GMO, pro-GMO movement is a lot of people are making assertions. So I wanted to go down into the science of it and find out the fundamental differences. Monsanto, for example, puts out genetically engineered foods telling the world and essentially confusing the world saying, don't worry, the genetically engineered version of our product is the same as the organic product. And it's a, it's a principle called substantial equivalence. So based on that, they put it out there. Now, here's a funny thing. No one um, questions them how they came to that equivalence. It's all based on self-reporting. So what we did in this research was over a series of five papers, which we published in journals, we showed, starting with soy, by the way, 97% of the soy in the United States is genetically engineered, that the genetically engineered version of Monsanto soy is substantially different if you looked at glutathione and formaldehyde. The problem is it's a rigged racket. These manufacturers of these genetically engineered foods, they choose whatever criteria they want, and they say, oh, it's equivalent. And then the FDA, by the way, the FDA ha takes no position on GMOs. They just do what's called a safety consultation. And uh, another important thing to note is the uh, deputy director of the FDA is Michael Taylor, appointed by Obama, the former head of science policy at Monsanto. Wow. So the bottom line is the genetically engineered version of a food is not the same. And the other bottom line is there is no safety assessment standards for GMOs, period. So many of the people, even in the health food movement, need to understand this because this is the right way to argue this point. It's not about genetically engineered foods, good or bad. The reality is there's no safety assessment standards. It's put out all through self-reporting. Um, but glyphosate has massive issues. The latest study that just came out from Seralini shows that ultra-low levels of glyphosate, ultra-low levels cause fatty liver disease, e.g. the onset of diabetes, obesity, etc. Now, are we talking about the, the soy crop, the corn crop, and wheat, or is it all foods that are grown? Well, what all, foods have been used, this product is being used on? Well, well glyphosate, uh, just to give everyone the background, a company called Monsanto and Dow during the Vietnam War created a very powerful herbicide called Agent Orange. 50,000 tons of it were dropped on Vietnam, affected not only the Vietnamese people, but a lot of our veterans who, by the way, do not get taken care of still. Um, well, after the war ended, Monsanto repurposed their technology to create glyphosate, which many of you may know as Roundup, which is also an herbicide. So what they did was they, they monopolized the sale of glyphosate across the world to factory farms. And what ended up happening was as glyphosate was being used as an herbicide, it was also starting to kill some of the corn and the soy, not just the weeds. So then Monsanto cleverly came up with a secondary product, which they said, you know, buy our genetically engineered version of soy, for example, and that you can plant. And the herbicide you can use, and it won't also kill the plant. So they own both sides of the business. They own the pesticide or the herbicide, and they also owned the, the seed. And today, what they do is they license the seed on a one-year cycle. 
So it's basically a massive monopoly of the entire uh, food uh, uh, pipeline. By the way, Elizabeth Warren uh, voted to protect Monsanto, the Monsanto Protection Act. She actually screwed over Bernie Sanders on the GMO labeling bill. And, and by the way, Bernie also took $18,000 from the agrobiotech industry. Nearly, I just finished a movie with Pierce Brosnan who produced it, you know, 007 and his wife, Keely Brosnan. I'm the main scientist and it. it's out there. It's won eight film awards. But we talk about, it's, it's called Poisoning Paradise. And hmm. it's really the entire supply chain of what's going on. We talk about how uh, these agrobiotech companies single-handedly destroyed the half of the island of Kauai, wow. uh, which is what they used to, as a field testing environment. So we're, the bottom line is you cannot trust Republicans or Democrats. Both of them are involved in the racket. Um, and that's why our campaign, you know, Shiva for Senate, is based on declare your independence. Both of these parties are corrupt. The founders of this country never wanted us to have parties. You know, Washington was completely against it. There was never the notion of career politicians. You were supposed to have a job, you're supposed to serve, and you're supposed to go back to your job. If people go read about Washington, he, he was a surveyor. After he, he was very happy to leave being a president. He was a very prolific businessman, ran a farm, yeah. was an agriculture. <clears throat> I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. So this notion of career politicians has got to end. We're destroying the public food supply because these guys get paid off by companies like Monsanto. Um, they have no skills except the skill to manipulate people and the skill essentially uh, to, to lobby. So what can we do about this? Okay, Charlie, I'm sorry to interrupt here. Uh, Ted, are you cueing us that we have to take a break, correct? All right, folks, welcome back. I am Basha, and you are listening to WCRN AM 830. We are discussing, this is a program where we do once a week, where we discuss health as our passion and what can we all do as a movement out there. And today with us, part of this movement that I wanted to start and have Let's Talk Health, uh, we are talking with Dr. Shiva Ayodhya. Ayodori? Ayodore. So Ayodore. So it's easy. So how would you say I adore you? So you just say okay. Ayodore. Ayodore. Yeah. So maybe we should have like bumper stickers. I adore Dr. Shiva. Put yeah. the word adore <laughs> in there, right? Put adore. Ayodore. Right. Okay. I didn't know whether it's Ayodore or A. Okay. Ayodore. Well, now see, now you guys are getting the name across, yeah. right? Now it's, it's, so we'll just call him for short, Dr. Shiva. So we are discussing as we went to break, we're discussing health topics, what's going on in our powers to be up there. Um, Dr. Shiva is running as an independent for U.S. Senate candidate. Uh, people get involved, the health movement, what we're doing, cruelty to our animals, what we're doing um, to, we want, we're going to get in there a little bit. I want to talk to Dr. Shiva about um, GMO and labeling. And when we consumers, we all decide what we buy. We decide what we buy with our credit card. We decide what we buy with our cash. If we're not going to buy foods that are going to sustain us and are going to help us to nourish our spirit, our soul, what the hell are we all doing out there? So we need people in higher places that I feel are going to be not hypocrites, are going to have health and the government together for the same cause, which is health. I don't get involved in disease. There are great scientists out there who study it. My thing is always about health. So coming back, this book I want people to go get. It's, it's with Dr. Shiva called Your Body, Your System. And as I introduced it, Beyond Diets, How to Achieve Optimal Health for the Unique You in a Dynamic World. We're going to go back to a little bit more about systems health. Some, it's a passion of mine. And when we were left for break, I want people, if you need to know more about this, go to systemshealth.com. You can learn about Dr. Shiva or shivaforsenate.com. People, get involved. All right, Dr. Shiva. So as we left, we were discussing GMOs, and I know it's a big business. 
do we currently, right now, if, if I'm a consumer and I go to a supermarket, what we're buying, do we know what we're buying? I know organic is even, you know more about this than I do, crazy, because everything's organic in all the major supermarkets. Is it really organic? How's the government helping people to that when we buy, we know that it is what it says, and if a food has been GMO, is it going to say on it GMO, on the label? Where is yeah, all that it's at? It's a great question. So what the history of the GMO movement is, is an important one. The goal was consumers broadly wanted labeling, which means they wanted to know whether this thing had any genetically engineered uh, Absolutely. Uh, I want to know. ingredients on it. So um, Connecticut attempted to do it on its own um, several years ago. But Vermont was the one who said, basically, screw off to the federal government. We're going to pass our own GMO labeling bill, which they did. In fact, okay. I was at the and launch. And somebody sued them, I heard, or something. Yeah, yeah. so the federal government came after them, yeah, right? And then they had this thing called the Dark Act, which was they were going to move this to the federal level. And Elizabeth Warren was involved with this. And the, uh, the notion was to have clear labeling. Like, clearly on there, this was GMO labeling. The uh, the insidious way that they did this was they put a smart code on it, you know, the QR code, right. which you'd need a smartphone. Right. So that way Warren could say, oh, yeah, I supported GMO labeling, but she, uh, they obfuscated the issue. So it made it very difficult for the average consumer to know if something has GMO or not. And we need to know. And we I need to know. people want to know. We need to know. So, so part of what this reveals, when you look at the whole GMO movement— uh, 80% of consumers want organic food right. in the world. Healthier food for their and, families. And, and, in, and in America. So um, what's really interesting from a business standpoint, the software internet industry is a $400 billion industry. We think, wow, that's big. Right. The food industry is a $4.7 trillion industry. And this is a huge opportunity because if people want to make money listening to the show, go start an organic farm. You get 30% year-over-year growth. We don't produce enough organic food. Mm -hmm. and, we're, and we're not talking about organic food that's shipped from Turkey over here. Mm -hmm. That's what Amazon is doing something very insidious in some level. Yes, you can get stuff, but they're, they want to make organic food, industrialized organic. One of the key things that also comes out of this is that you want local produce. There's a big difference when stuff is bought fresh and it's delivered to you fresh locally. And there's very, many, many scientific reasons for it when it's picked the nutrient value versus a banana being picked all green, right? Absolutely. And then shipped overseas. And but, sprayed and all and of that sprayed, stuff. And sprayed, et cetera. Yeah. But I think the bottom line is the whole area of genetically engineered foods brings up this whole idea of a system versus a reductionist way of looking at the world. What I'm saying is that the ankle bone is connected to the foot bone is connected to the et cetera, right? Western medicine is based on just isolating a problem to one little thing. So if you go to a doctor with a headache, they'll typically – they'll typically send you to five different specialists, right? Eastern medicine is looking at the body as a whole. When you look at genetically engineered foods, the scientists thought, oh, all I'm doing is changing this one gene, mm -hmm. which, by the way, the gene is brought in from another animal into, for example, a tomato uh, from a bacterium, which would never occur in nature. Don't worry about it. It's an itsy-weeny, teeny-weeny change. The reality is when you change one small thing, it can have system effects, and that's what we need to get back to when we talk about systems. We need to take a systems approach to the body. Okay, folks, this is, this is my passion, health. We are talking with Dr. Shiva and our distinguished speaker today on GMO health. He is running for the, the first U.S. senator who will take on Monsanto. You are listening to WCRN AM 830. I am Basha, and you are listening to the Basha's Wellness Show. We will be right back. Welcome back. I am Basha, and you are listening to the Health and Wellness Show on WCRN AM 830. 
Uh, as we went to break, our distinguished speaker today is Dr. Shiva. We are talking about my favorite topic, health. How can we change where people are more empowered to understand uh, what they can do to have better health? We have a huge opioid crisis. We have we need help in our in, we're a great country, the best country in the world. But I also believe we need to put some leadership and people out there that are pretty smart, like this guy in front of me who's got four for <laughs> MIT, right? For inventor inventor of the email, four degrees from MIT. I mean, to me, you started so early. You you dedicated your life so far. You could like I said to you a little earlier, you could just go off on the side and live happily, but you have a passion. And your passion is to integrate health so people can understand. First of all, you're fighting for non-GMO. You're going to take the dangers, which is a huge education out there, and I applaud you for that. Second, um, I believe that if we go back, and your systems biology engineer, if you can touch a little bit, systems biology, your body, your system, natural system. We're getting that word system, system, because I want people to understand that we as human beings need to go to our healthcare providers or whatever we're working out there with and demand more from what we're getting right now. We're getting fragmented healthcare that I believe you call it reductionist. Reductionist, um, where you look at the parts. So so if you look at Basha Wen in 1990, do you remember when the genome project started? Right. The, oh, the whole Western medicine basically believes that if you understand the parts, you can understand the whole. Eastern medicine says you need to understand the connections between the parts. The interconnections. And the interconnections. That's what you did for the email. Exactly. So email. The interconnected email. You're going to do interconnected systems. Interconnected body. the body. So, so if you, so it's a good analogy because email is a system. Can I call it the human email? Yeah. Well, in some ways, you want to look at email, which was a, it was it was a system. It's not the simple exchange of text messages. That's sort of a reductionist way. It's not telegraph. Email was a whole system. Similarly, if you look at um, the way Western medicine has progressed, it's done a great job as understanding parts, and you need to do that. Right. So you have, sorry, but you have this and you go to a specialist for this. You have this, you go to a foot doctor. You, and, exactly. and we're all, you, spe- you're, yeah. You, yeah, you're, and, and it does good on certain things. Let's say, God forbid, some major accident occurred. Western medicine is phenomenal. But for maintaining health, Western medicine doesn't really know a lot. It's, it's a child in the mm-hmm. wilderness in that sense. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the genome project, when the genome project started in 1993, the idea was could we sequence a genome? By the way, a gene uh, is a, uh, a substance in the body that uh, relates to a particular characteristic. So, for example, there's a gene for blue eyes or a gene for if you have a long nose versus a short nose. Mm-hmm. And the idea was in, ni- in the mid-1990s, the idea was we knew that a worm had around 20,000 genes, 20,000 parts. So scientists a said— A lowly worm. A lowly worm had 20,000 20, genes. Okay. So therefore, people said, wow, if a, if a worm has 20,000 genes— how many genes does a human have? They said, well, obviously, we're so much more complicated. We must have at least half a million genes. Well, when a the little ge- arrogant. But a little bit arrogant. Yeah. When the genome project ends, after 10 years, it turns out we only have 20,000 genes. So let me get this straight. So we have the same number of parts as a worm does. So this is a humbling experience for us humans, It's a, it's right? an, a humbling experience. And what also emerges out of that was systems biology. Okay. So around 2003, people said, wait a minute. Genes are not who we are. There's, there's the genes create proteins which dance together, hundreds of thousands. So we are not our genes. We are what emerges from the products of genes dancing together in this big choreography. Mm-hmm. And that gave rise to a field called molecular systems biology. And that's the new field of biology saying that 
Um, you know what? Your genes can be turned on and off by what you eat, what you think, the environment you're in. So you're not your genes. You're your genes plus all these other things that take place around you. And it's epigenetics. It's epigenetics. Okay. And it's an, exactly it's epigenetics, and and it gives you more power as a human being. It I gives, think it, it's less than oh, I'm just born with these bad genes. And exactly, and it also takes away the power of the elites, mm-hmm. who for centuries said, oh, these people are stupid because they have these genes. These people can only be capable of this. Mm-hmm. It turns out there's not a lot of difference between two human beings, and frankly, we're maybe one or two percent base difference from a gorilla. When you really look at it, you wow. know, if you, if you believe yeah, yeah. in the genetic theory. But the reality is that we have a lot of human beings have infinite potential. And that's what emerges out of that, which is a very, very inspiring a model of who we actually are. So in traditional systems of Indian medicine, they also had a systems biology. The problem is they used a whole bunch of language, earth, fire, metal, water, you know, people are, people are into this stuff. And they never could decipher it to the Western world. So when the Western scientists started looking at Ayurveda, Indian medicine, or Chinese, Chinese medicine, they thought it was snake oil. And mm-hmm. what I did was, as part of my 2000 work, was I was able to find the bridge, convert the Eastern system of medicine to Western terms. In fact, they're related to engineering systems terms, and that's what systems health is about. So what that does, it gives us a whole new doorway to understand Eastern medicine. You find out it's actually very much related to engineering systems. Wow. So. And- and yeah, and, and so what you're doing is you're just bridging. You're, you're bridging, bridging east and west, and my whole life has been about that. So the reason when I look at running for Senate, you know, if you look at the human body, one of the things that if we want to look, religion is, has its place, science has its place, but one of the really important, powerful things, if you want to find truth, is engineering. Because right. engineering is where the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. right? You can talk all the science you want, all the philosophy, but if a plane doesn't take off the ground, it doesn't matter. So engineers are really, in some ways, the workhorses of what make modern world rise. So one of the things that comes out of engineering um, theory is when you uh, look at nature as an engineer, mm-hmm. nature is always decentralized. Nature doesn't centralize things. We, for example, are, are not one big cell. Our body has 10 trillion cells in it. And this is an important thing. So if you follow nature as an engineer, things are decentralized. There's not one behemoth entity. So when people like Elizabeth Warren, when people like Republicans and Democrats create two parties, centralized parties, this is anti-human. Humans are not meant to live in an environment or be governed by top-down. We're actually quite decentralized. Intelligence is actually at the periphery. A 14-year-old kid in Newark, New Jersey invented email. A 14-year-old kid in Franklin, Idaho invented TV. It wasn't all done at MIT. Not to say these big institutions don't do good things, but the reality is it's about decentralization. It's giving power back to the edges. And that's why we need to declare our independence. And our campaign, what comes out of that core, is that you give people back their power. Real health, real jobs, clean government. So part of our issue is clean government. Everything in nature has a beginning and an end. Why are people in Congress, why aren't there term limits? You know, you had your chance, now get out, okay? Let some fresh air in. Two terms, our view is two terms and anything you're out. The other thing is nature also is very conserved. It doesn't have infinite amount of energy. Elizabeth Warren and Scott Brown together spent $200 million. Our view is $1, one vote. So if there's 4.3 million registered voters, you should be able to maximally spend in a federal race $4.3 million. And if you can't get your message out on that, well, maybe you shouldn't even be running because you need to pummel people like drones with broadcast advertising. When you move to real food, you know, or real health, real food is real medicine. Yoga is medicine. Um, you know, NIH 
we, we believe we just take 50% of the NIH funding and distribute it to research and alternative health, alt health. The other big piece is, you know, we got to say no to Monsanto because the reality is not about pro or anti GMOs, but right now there are no safety assessment standards for GMOs. And the uh, last piece of our thing is real jobs. In Massachusetts, we don't have enough skilled labor. For every 17 skilled job openings, only one person is skilled. So how do we change that? How do no, we? We need a movement. You know, uh, it, uh, yeah, we need right. a movement. It's not going to be politicians. Politicians are insignificant. The They're basically the salespeople for the military industrial complex. It's we the people. And my defeating Elizabeth Warren is not about just defeating Elizabeth Warren, but it's about defeating the not so obvious establishment. It's easy to attack the establishment, but people like Elizabeth Warren are the fake fighters, the fake innovators, the fake Indian. You know, and I believe only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. And I mean this in an in a, in a important way because what does Elizabeth Warren represent? Here's a woman who lied to get into Harvard. If you or I did that, we'd be fired. She took away a minority's job, yet she's claiming she supports affirmative Why action. Why do we have no accountability? Why do we excuse to Well, death because everything? the elites – well, you know, it's fascinating. What's irony is Massachusetts was the center of the American Revolution, right. yet it's been taken over by the upper caste elites starting with Harvard. One of the core slogans is we need to tax Harvard. Think about it. Mitt Romney – Charlie Baker, Elizabeth Warren, all out of Harvard, right? Mm -hmm. What do we have? Let's look at it very factually. Massachusetts, worst in corruption, okay? Lowest public integrity, 47th in infra worst infrastructure, worst infrastructure. And the other piece that Massachusetts has, no one wants to talk about, is third, three times the national average in opioid addiction. Now, contrast that to the nerds down the street at MIT who generated 33,000 jobs for Massachusetts, I mean, 33,000 businesses, $2 trillion in revenue. Why do we keep electing these lawyer lobbyists who add no value? They add zero value. You know, Harvard is basically a $45 billion hedge fund. It's a fake university. That's what they really are. And we need to tax Harvard. You take, if you and I started a hedge fund, we'd have to pay 20% taxes. Harvard made $7 billion last year. That's $1.4 billion, which we should spend on skilling Massachusetts. How can Charlie totally. Baker, how can Mitt Romney, how can Elizabeth Warren feel good when the opioid addiction rates in Massachusetts are three times the national average? We have the worst subways, the worst infrastructure. These people don't know how to fix anything. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney's Bain Capital made $710 million by aggregating methadone clinics and flipping them. They don't want to solve the opioid addiction. They want to make opioid addiction an industry. There is a solution to the opioid addiction. We have a great guy that came to us, Dr. Kishore. There's a movie coming out on him called Hero in America. Kishore actually went into the homes. He came up with a multi-part program, which was in the home. You detox people in the home. You give them lifestyle changes. You give them monitoring. You, you, you give, give them, them hope, hope in the home. The, the current model is you take people down to a methadone clinic. And, and you want to make money, go start a methadone clinic. Right. That's what Mitt Romney did. Right. And that's what the Republicans and Democrats do. They never have to solve problems because they're not engineers. They're not blue-collar workers. They don't ever have to make money doing anything. You know, I've, I've generated jobs in Massachusetts. Everyone listening here works for a living. We need to vote every one of these politicians out. They don't serve anyone but themselves. They're unhealthy well, people. They're the parasites. I love your they're passion. They're viruses. I love your passion. So if yeah. you now, as an independent U.S. Senate candidate, and I love the word independent. We need Declare your independence. And declare your independence. That's American. Well, yeah. And the fact that where you're coming from and what you've already started, I think if anybody, you can certainly take it on as far as f breath of fresh air, as I call it, because people, the health movement, other people are trying to work hard. They're trying to the best. They go to these experts. These experts are very busy. I'm not into the blame game. They've got 10 minutes to see you. We deserve more. I'm in the, in, in the store. I, I see clients. 
Um, I hear this all the time. I talked with them more than they have their physician talking to them because, but people will take their power back. I also, I don't want to blame any doctors. People are really out there trying to do a good job, but the system has to empower the people, educate, and people got to take responsibility for their health too because, as I said on the last show, if you have stinking thinking, if you are constantly not eating better, not, I, I think there should be an incentive if hopefully if you get in that if people started a garden, we got to reward good behavior. Well, one of the things we believe is local trade, no tax. Okay. So see? here's a model. So if you buy locally and you sell locally, no tax. So for example, local farmers, a local restaurant buys from Cisco and these big conglomerates. They should be able to buy from the local, you know, apples in Harvard, Massachusetts, it's harder to get than from an apple in Seattle, mm -hmm. right? Amazon- Incentivize. Yeah, incentivize local behavior, local buying. So now you create local economies, local trade, no tax. That's one of our models. Because what you're now saying is, look, you're actually supporting health. You're reducing a lot of, a lot of different health problems and you're creating local economies. Absolutely, I agree with you. All right, um, we gotta take a break, right, Ted? Okay, folks, this is, this is my passion, health. We are talking with Dr. Shiva and our distinguished speaker today on GMO health. He is running for the, the first U.S. Senator who will take on Monsanto. You are listening to WCRN AM 830. I am Basha, and you are listening to the Basha's Wellness Show. We will be right back. Hey, folks, welcome back. Um, we are talking today about health. And when we are talking with Dr. Shiva, when we left for break, I want to ask Dr. Shiva, because we're, we're going on the clock already, it's almost, I can't believe the hour's going by, what has happened to our healthcare system? <laughs> what has happened to incentivizing us to be healthier? Can you touch on that? Yeah, starting around, uh, you know, in the 70s, the healthcare system went into a massive spiraling downward, because what happened was pharmaceutical companies and big hospitals were given the rights to lobby. And what ended up happening over time was things like Romney Care and Obamacare. What these are, these are not health care. I don't even know why we call them health care. What they are is care for the big insurance companies. So they created in, in many ways a corrupt collusion model between big insurance, big pharma, and big hospitals. So think about it. Anyone listening, why do you get insurance, health insurance? You get it thinking, oh, my God, if something horrible happens to me, I'm going to have to pay a lot of money, right? So why do you have to pay a lot of money? That means the health insurance companies, if you actually look at it and if you go through the numbers, they are actually incented to keep hospital visits very high, procedures very high, at the same time drug prices very high. This may seem counterintuitive, but the reality is, remember, a health insurance company makes money off your premiums, off your monthly premiums. So if they get a 10% increase off the premiums, they're going to make more and more money, which means they make better stock returns for themselves and their shareholders. That's what they're about. Well, how do they get that? They want to make sure that you get scared and you stick to health insurance, which means you have to keep procedure costs high and you have to keep the costs of medicines high. So that's the thing that everyone needs to understand. This is, by the way, not discussed in any of the discussions we have. Why are the costs of pharmaceuticals high? You know, I can do a longer discussion on that, but there are things called group purchasing organizations. It's a much larger discussion. GPOs, you can look them up. These organizations were created around the 1990s and they essentially artificially keep the price of drugs high. For example, a generic drug, $2, they're selling at $32,000 a month. That's just an extreme example. So you have organizations which are profiting and they give kickbacks to hospital administrators. The whole thing is a disgusting racket. Mm -hmm. Now you go to hospital procedures. You know, the reality is most of these procedures are very, very low cost procedures that they crank up a factor of 100 or 
a thousand percent in many cases. How do we solve this? Well, the solution is actually pretty simple. If you go back to prevention, we need to, you know, uh, create reward ins- health. We reward health, reward health. You know, make make this part of the educational pr- process. Uh, you know, support you know local farmers. Uh, you know, go head on head. You know, we've talked about GMOs, etc. But the other piece is it's got to go back to a direct pay model and crisis care insurance. So, for example, with your car today, you pay about a thousand bucks, and it, God forbid you get into a major accident, that's covered. But if you have mechanic issues, those issues, right? You're actually out there shopping as a good person, finding a good local mechanic and making sure that they take care of it. We need to go back to that. If you think about it, in the old days, in the 70s, for example, you, you paid about 15, 25 bucks for your local doctor visit. You had a relationship with your doctor. He didn't just look at you for 15 minutes. So the solution is actually pretty simple. Preventative care, you and I as individuals taking control of our health, mm-hmm. and finding local providers. And there's a huge opportunity now because you can actually get a lot of these services locally. The costs don't, do not need to be that high. There are many doctors who are taking direct pay models. Mm-hmm. And then you have crisis care when you really, really need some, God forbid, awful incident. That's where we need to move to. So we almost need to switch preventive care on one thing and crisis care exactly. on another. And right now we just have trauma care. And, and then we repurpose it for preventative care. So that's why in all of these discussions, the Democrats and Republicans, who basically have five issues, and they basically are quite undemocratic. They basically make, make us discuss five issues, and within those bounds, we're thought that's the only solution. We need to bust open the borders of these solutions. We need to go back to very simple, basic first principles, which is prevention, prevention, prevention. And the other piece is crisis care, which is very separate than direct pay models. And those models, you know, many people are starting to do. There's huge opportunities for that. The other piece in this, when I talk about education, you know, uh, Think about a doctor coming out of medical school, four years undergraduate, then another four years medical school, then at, at minimum two years a specialty or sometimes seven. They're coming with massive loans. One of the things I want to do is eliminate the need for the four-year undergraduate. We need to create more doctors. Over the Absolutely. last 20 years, we've lost nearly 250,000 primary care doctors thanks to Romney Care, Obamacare. How many did we lose? 250,000. These doctors have had to join big hospitals because they can't afford wow. to run their local day-to-day right. small businesses. Right. We need to have many doctors. We have less doctors per capita than Cuba does. <laughs> so we're talking as though we're like the number one great country yeah. on the planet. But when you really look at it, we have less per capita doctors than a country Is like Cuba does. Is it about a million, does. I think, doctors? When I, when we I have 970,000 doctors, 980,000 doctors. So that combos would say a million, right? S- yeah, but s- 70% of them, near 70% work at a big hospital. Wow. So before it wasn't like that. Now, here's the interesting thing. You walk into a hospital, get a checkup, there's a two out of five chance you're going to walk out with another infection from going to a hospital. So we got to go local. We got to get better. Local, local, local. Yeah. And, you know, as I, when I see people and I talk to them directly and always about health, I say to them the same thing. Just put it in perspective. 330 million people approximately, right? We grow from 250 million to 330. That's, you know, we're talking 80 million people more. Now, we're at 330. If you, I say to people, how many doctors do you think we have? 10% would be 33 million. When I tell them we're close to one, so we are at less than 1%, they're like, I go, I got news for you. They're super busy. They, so, you've got to get involved in your health. You've got to take some responsibility. And the people delivering health care right now, so if you look at it like a pyramid on the top are these big academic institutions on the top, the next level is these 970,000 doctors below that are the nurses, the massage therapists, right. the chiropractors. These people are actually delivering health. 
Right. In my view, we need to empower them and we need to give them essentially the prestige that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Part of this is also giving, you know, when you go back to the issue of jobs and skilled jobs, community colleges, Votech schools should be able to issue an associate's degree in the 13th year. We make, basically, we have a monopolization of the educational institutions. The core educational institutions around the MIT, Harvard area monopolize education. They've created the educational industrial complex. So you pay a lot of money to go to them, and you end up with very few skills. Yeah. And that's why a lot of millennials so are living in their basement of their parents. So they don't, frankly, have any skills. Absolutely. So it's stacked again. It's stacked. It's, it's stacked. Stacked. But I think the solution is that everyone listening here should recognize that we cannot rely on politicians. These guys are career politicians. They lie. They cheat. They have no skills. Go look at the resumes of these guys. What skills do they have? Can they actually fix anything? Can they actually read a balance sheet? You know, on my Twitter, I said, here's a balance sheet and an income statement. Can a politician, uh, do they know whether a loan is an asset or a liability? They probably have no idea. So these guys are actually, frankly, unfortunately, they don't have a lot of skills. And that's why look at Massachusetts. They've, they've created a state where for every 17 skilled jobs, only one person is skilled. That's what the swamp brings to us. And we got to end it. If we want to really change it, we got to get people like myself, people like you, everyday people work for a living, participating in government, and then going back to work. That's the model. And I think my running against Warren gives us that opportunity. My goal is it's not about passing this bill or that, but it's to start a wave in this country where we start saying, look, let's go back to everyday people because everyday people actually have a lot more brains than these politicians who are basically salespeople, as I keep saying, for the military-industrial academic complex. They serve no one but themselves, all of them. Well, this is, folks, you're hearing it. We need to have a paradigm shift. We need to get people involved. We need people who are smart leaders out there that can actually and be transparent and, and give the power back to the people. And the people got to vote in people hold them accountable and say things such as, you know, can we fix what we've got and be better? We all want better. And the cool thing is about people listening to a food and nutrition show, what's great about food and nutrition, it's one of those things that you control. You vote with your fork. You know, you have to have food. You got to eat every day. Real you, food and is real medicine. Health, what really gets me when I got involved in the health, the movement, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. If you don't have healthy people in a healthy society, they cannot work. If they cannot work, they do not produce. They can't pay taxes. They, I mean, so certain elite are making buku money. But what about the rest of the people? Health is your, like breathing air. It's your fundamental birthright to get up, uh, have choices, truth given you, but then you decide what's best for your life. And when we are stacked, I, I just feel like people get involved. It's your health. Read labels. Start demanding. I hope um, once you do get in into the Senate, Dr. Shiva, that you, you. become more transparent as far as um, this whole GMO thing. I want to go to supermarket. I want to read the label. I want to know what I'm buying. I want rewards for local stuff. And it's, that's where. Bottom line is we got to declare our independence. That's what absolutely. Shiva for Senate's about. Declare All right. your independence. All right. Go to shivaforsenate.com. We had a wonderful time talking with Thank you. you. We hope you can me. come back some other time. And uh, I am Basha. You are listening to WCRN AM 830. Till next week, Monday, from 1 to 2, where it is all about your health.